Hey, Alma. Hey, Bet. How was your week? It was a week. <laughs> <laughs> How was yours? It was good. I was calling you on my way over here, and you didn't answer the phone the first time, and I'm like, Alma, answer. Like, I can almost <laughs> summon you in regards to answering, and I went to the voicemail, and I'm like, And it worked, because I looked down at my phone, and I was like, have I just called? <laughs> What does she want? It must be an emergency. <laughs> I was sitting right there. I couldn't believe I missed your call. I'm telling y'all, I'm a, I was I was summoning you. Summons, summons, and summons, and you. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, I'm Yvette. I'm Alma. This is Tipsy Tales. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll work on that. <laughs> But will we? Will we really? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> <laughs> Not out of just uh, spite. I'll be like, tipsy tails. <laughs> Don't do that. You're going to be, stop it. Stop it. Stop it right now. <laughs> oh, my God. It's been it's been a week. I hear you, girl. This wine is really good. It is really good. We're drinking Primal Roots. It's a red blend, California. It's a year 2000. No, hold up. It's 2016. Yeah. So that. I don't know if that... Oh, that was a good year for us. Oh, that was an awesome year for us. <laughs> <laughs> All those concerts and... Yeah. The picture, incriminating pictures, the Scottish festival. Oh, my God. The Scottish... <laughs> Let me try that again. Speaking of the Scottish festival... Uh-huh. Guess what my story is about. <gasps> Ooh, <laughs> Scottish Festival? You can't tell those. You promise some people. <laughs> <laughs> what happens at the Scottish Festival stays, stays in the, the Scottish, Scottish Festival. Festival. Wow, shiffish, shiffish. And I haven't even started drinking yet. <laughs> uh, so Brandy actually um, IM'd me earlier because she's in San Diego. And so the picture she sends is of her and her friend Angela and her friend Sam. And I'm looking at it and I'm looking at the bar behind it and I'm thinking, oh, We've been there before, and it was our uh, place that we went to in San Diego. Oh, the bar. The bar. <laughs> I was like, oh, look at We stumbled our way about a half a mile under a bridge, lost some shoes, almost Through drowned. <laughs> Through the sand. I got sand in my teeth. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> I think that was me. I think it was Mario's fault. We're just going to blame him. Yeah. <laughs> Lost some shoes. Found some shoes. We found some shoes. And let's just focus on that for the time being. Hey, it was a whole day later. I'm still amazed at that. <laughs> when I got that text on my phone, I was like. I was like, don't throw them out. Don't throw them out. I, Girl, was, I was looking. Those are my favorite chanclas. <laughs> Seriously. And for those of you who don't know what chanclas are, they're flip-flops. But they were her favorite flip-flops. Yes. And she found the mate. I did. Our, it was a blast. Great time. And one of my favorite years, because we did so much that year, went to have a soup pie. That was a whole... Oh, my God. Have a soup pie is amazing. Thank goodness that we're from Arizona, and before it got opened on the internet, we're able to, fortunate to be able to um, go. Our friends of ours organized it. Thanks, Anna and David. Um, and it was just amazing and beautiful. So if anybody gets a chance to go out there, by all means, make the trip. Definitely. And uh, just know that the hike back out of the canyon, the last hour is uh, agony if you are not prepared. <laughs> Take it from me. <laughs> hey, but you know, at the end of the day, you did it. I did it was it. bad. Two it steps was awesome. at a time. 
girl, but it's done. You didn't have to get helicoptered out. No, not I, that there's anything wrong with it, but yeah. No, I did it on my own two feet. Like, literally, I said, two steps at a time. Poor Mario stayed back with me. He was so patient. <laughs> Not Isaiah. He was like, bye, Mom. <laughs> Isaiah was Mark. Yeah, he did. <laughs> like, an hour before us. Or two they were hours. all chilling. Yeah, they got up. They didn't want to bother for breakfast, nothing. They were like, bye. No, but really, like, if you're ever going to make a trip that's a once-in-a-life time trip, and you like hiking, you should... Do have a supai yeah, in Arizona. Yeah, it is beautiful. I mean, it is absolutely beautiful. You got to at least see it once. Definitely uh, on your bucket list kind of deal. Yeah, exactly. Well, we have a lot of things to cross off of our bucket list. And Scotland's yes. still one of them. No doubt. Same. So that's my segue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this week I decided I was going to do the spooky stuff because okay. I know how much you like spooky. Yes. I'm going to be hiding underneath your table in a little bit, trying to shoo away spirits. <laughs> As I was doing this, I was like thinking, I don't know if Ovet's going to like that. It's fine, fine, fine. change your name to Ovet. (laughs) (laughs) Might as well. Shoot, they call me Ivet, Evet. Hell, they just call me Eva. (laughs) Bypass it all. You should see the way Starbucks actually writes my name on the cup. It's hysterical. I've been called Velma, Alma, Thelma. We're kind of like Thelma and Louise anyway, so... Yeah, Lucy and Ethel, Thelma, Louise, Eva, and Velma. So apparently we're part of the Scooby-Doo Bank gang without even realizing it. Darn those kids. Alrighty. So, my story is about Glamis Castle. Oh my goodness gracious, I am so glad I did not pick that because I was literally researching that exact same thing. Are you serious? Yeah, but it's okay, I'm good, I got something else. Okay. <laughs> it was like between this and the Tower of England. Yeah, I know we had kind of briefly discussed that last week and we were both like, ooh, we're going to do this or like, ooh, we're going to do that. And then um, at the last minute, believe it or not, um, Sergio was like, you gotta, you know, you should do this one. I'm like, you know what, you're right. So I'm glad it worked out. <laughs> so anyways, Glamis Castle, and it's pronounced Glums. Oh, really? That yeah. I did not know. <laughs> I read the pronunciation later because I was like, I don't want to butcher this. And I butchered it anyways. But Glums. So from here going forward is Glums. Okay. Um, it's considered one of the most haunted castles in England and in Scotland. It has about a thousand years of history. It's the ancestral seat of the Earls of Strathmore and Kinghorn. And it's the inspiration. Did you ever have to read Macbeth in high school? You know what? I did not. It is kind of on my bucket list of books to read, but it's about four feet high. (laughs) Don't do it. All right. (laughs) You could could do the cliff notes. There you go. I was thinking that same thing after you said don't do it. I'm like, I'll do the cliff notes. I think there's a movie out there. Ooh, even better. Anyway, so it's it was the literally the inspiration for Shakespeare's Macbeth, um, and it's been said that Macbeth killed Duncan at Glums. However, there's not historical records that this is true. Okay. It's also the childhood home of Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother. So Ooh. not the Queen, but her mother. Mother's mother. Yeah. The Queen's mother. <laughs> so and also Princess Margaret. Are you watching The Crown? I am not. I started to watch it and then um, stopped. So um, Princess Margaret, whenever you get a chance, she's, she was kind of like the black sheep of the family. Um, she was born at Glom's Castle in 1930. The current and only owners are, 
is the Bose Lions family. They were originally awarded the land by Robert the Bruce. And I know you've watched Braveheart. I have. So I'm going to keep making movie references (laughs) until I hit something. Freedom. (laughs) So he was, uh, you remember Robert the Bruce? Yeah. The guy that played Robert the Bruce, Angus McFadden. He awarded the castle to the Bowes Lions family in 1372. Oh, wow. Well, that's a long time ago. You did say it's about a thousand years. So. Yeah. So let's get on to the ghosts okay. of Glam's castle. Um, there's said to be about nine of them, but I'm going to go through the most famous ones. Okay. And the first one is the woman without a tongue. That bitch. No, I'm going. <laughs> I was actually reading one website that said that, you know, the cutting off of a tongue was somebody done to people that have witnessed something and they don't want them to speak or what. They, yeah. So. That's like, like mafia stuff. Yeah. So it's nobody knows who she is. Okay. It, but it's just a possibility. Um, the most reported ghostly sightings are of this woman. She wanders around the grounds pointing to her badly wounded face. And she's also been seen looking out from a barred window within the castle. And like I said, nobody knows who she is. That um, kind of freaks me out, though. Yeah, I'm can not you gonna imagine? Lie. You're like looking up and you're like, the hell? No, it's that home. castle. No, I see that. Uh-uh, <laughs> a little face right there. No, thank you. You're like, I'll wait outside. She's like smiling down at you. Well, apparently she's not because she don't have a tongue. <laughs> she's not smiling about anything. She no gossiping for her. No tasting for her. I might take a finger or something, but my tongue, no thanks. I like to eat too much. <laughs> so, okay. So that's the woman without a tongue. And then there's the gray lady. And she's believed to be the ghost of the Lady of Gloms, Janet Douglas, who was burned at the stake for being a supposed witch in 1537, so a few, couple hundred years later. Her first husband was John Lyon, the sixth Lord of Gloms. Apparently, she was accused of poisoning him. And Oops. <laughs> That's what happens. You need wine and the microphone's in the way, so my apologies. <laughs> apologize every time we hear that sign we know that Yvette's getting more wine (laughs) (laughs) okay so she was accused of poisoning her husband and apparently like she was jailed for this and then she was absolved of the crime so this happened in like 1528 she then married her second husband Archibald Campbell of Skipness I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly and apparently King James V of Scottsdale did I just say Scottsdale? You did say Scottsdale. I, I was Scottsdale. like, he's from Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> I work in Scottsdale of Scotland. <laughs> oh my gosh. I want to go to Scotland so bad. Let's get it right. King James V of Scotland didn't care at all for her family. And in July of 1537, she was accused of planning to poison the king and communicating with her brothers who were part of the several of several conspiracies against the king. She was imprisoned in the Edinburgh Castle Dungeon. That's one of the places Ooh, we want to go. That's me too, yeah. And even though James couldn't find any evidence to convict her, he tortured her family and servants trying to find the truth. Basically, like, he put them on those things where they stretch people. I forgot what the they're The stretchers? Called. Yeah. No, well, I don't... They're stretchers, aren't they? No, I think there's parties. another name. I swear. <laughs> I think there's another name because I read it today. Okay, I'll, I'll take your word for that. Uh, until they basically said, "Yeah, she uh, 
was trying to do something to you, even though like everybody knew she was innocent. So with that, he had his conviction and, oh, imprisoned in the castle dungeon. And even though James couldn't find any evidence, she was later convicted and burned at the stake on July 17th, 1537. Her 16-year-old son was forced to watch. Ugh, girl, I like can't she's even burned imagine. alive. No thanks. Ugh, yeah. that's awful. Really awful, sorry. Not long after her execution, she was seen kneeling in prayer at the foot of the altar in, Glom's cast- in the Glom's Castle Chapel. So I gotta say, if I'm innocent and someone burns me alive, I'm coming back to haunt some people. I'm not lying. <laughs> but she went back home. Sergio, this is for you. <laughs> no, don't, don't burn me alive. <laughs> Okay, so then, uh, anyways, so like I said, not long after execution, she was seen kneeling in prayer at the foot of the altar in the castle chapel, and this is where she's seen most often. To this day, a chapel seat is reserved for her, and no one else is allowed to sit there. So they still have services in that chapel. And then uh, witnesses have also noted that she always appears very sad, of course. I mean, I can imagine that she would... Be happy about being burned right. at the stake, right? She's like, I smell like barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> Did you go there? I fish. It's a wine, I promise. Oh <laughs> goes, goes good with wine. <laughs> with the now chocolatey I'm just notes. <laughs> oh my god. Um, and others have been said to feel intense sadness overwhelm them when they enter the chapel. Um, she's also been seen on the turret above the castle's clock tower. And there's also been accounts of people that have seen her and witnessed her actually like reliving her burning at the stake oh. and being consumed in fire. That reminds me of that, um, that mirror. Oh my gosh. Why can't I think of that show on Netflix? Black Mirror. Did you ever watch that? Yeah, I did. Okay, spoiler alerts. If you haven't watched like the one with the prison and they keep your like essence and you can, they, you can, can, you continue to. The last one. Yeah, where you continue to experience your like execution over and over and over and over again. That's horrible. Don't sign me up for that. (laughs) No, thank you. All right. So, and then the next ghost is the ghost of Earl Beardy. Okay. Apparently was a fucking bastard. Sorry. Mm. Not sorry. Uh, he's thought to be either they don't know exactly who he is okay. he's thought to either be Alexander Lindsay the fourth Earl of uh, Crawford who died in ni- 1453 or Alexander Lyon the second Lord of Glamis, Gloms who died in 1486 which uh, they're pretty sure it's Alexander and bah. try that again I'm going to try it one more time I'm going to blame it on the wine as well <laughs> Alexander Lindsay the fourth Earl of Crawford um He's reported to be a cruel man with wicked temperament. Uh, one of the most heinous things that's recorded about him is that he forced a black house servant to be stripped naked and forced to run around the grounds for his and other Earl's entertainment. What a dick. That wasn't even the worst of it. Ugh. Yeah. Actually, they all took part in a hunt oh, with dogs <gasps> and went after this guy. What? Fuckers. So he's apparently, this poor guy, is another ghost of the castle. Fuck yeah, I'd haunt them motherfuckers too. Shoot, haunt me. He's called <laughs> Jack the Runner, and he's been heard running through the hall screaming in terror. Can you imagine? 
Uh, I'd be reading, screaming in terror with uh, a knife or something. But of all things to relive over and over again. No shit. The last moments of your life, something like an innocent person. That's you just can only hope that that guy actually had like... If he was going to be, be haunted, then have that guy screaming in terror right next to his ears, right when he's about to go to sleep. So he's sleep depraved forever. Until he goes crazy. Yeah. Crazy insane. So there are several versions of this story online. And every story centers on a game of cards. And the Earl is for, uh, forewarned by a servant that it was close to midnight because it's like Saturday night and they're sitting there playing cards or okay. gambling. And he's forewarned by the servant that uh, they're getting close to Sunday, and that's the Sabbath, Sabbath and day, you're yeah. not supposed to gamble on the Sabbath, and it would be sacrilege. And uh, Earl Beardy basically tells this guy to get the fuck out. I can do what I want. Orders him out of the room, and the other players are like, uh, we don't want none of that hell and damnation, and they kind of opt out of the game. So he's pissed off. Most of the stories are pretty much the same version. Um, he's pissed off and he says uh, something to the effect that he would play the devil himself. So on cue at midnight, in walks this guy in a black cloak, apparently the devil. Mm. Well, there you go. <laughs> Be careful what you ask for. <laughs> I don't know what that was. <laughs> It was wine. I'm going to call it wine. Wine, wine, wine. Wine, fine, fine. So, the man dressed in black, he walks into the room and asks if he needed a gambling partner. And Beardy agrees to wager, which is uh, a handful of rubies. And the servant later hears commotion coming from the room and walks in to the Lord Beardy engulfed in flames. Good, 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 good. The legend has it that he's damned to play cards until doomsday as punishment for playing on the Sabbath. That's what happens, Ben. And he it manifests himself as sounds of feet stomping angrily, loud swearing. All of this is heard coming from the room in the West Tower where he supposedly has a card game with the devil every night. That almost sounds like a version of the Fiddler. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. yeah. But he didn't win. <laughs> Apparently. He had a bad hand. evil. <laughs> Karma. Karma's there a bitch. There you go. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the devil. Um, Glamis- Did you just call the devil a bitch? <laughs> the devil is a fucking bitch. <laughs> I ain't afraid to say that. Uh, I'm going to hide under the desk right now. <laughs> As lightning's going to strike. <laughs> oh, no, wait. That's the wrong side. <laughs> Safeway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's reference to we just had a major storm in town and uh, a Safeway burned down. I don't know if it was lightning or what, or I thought it was lightning. Uh, sure. <laughs> did you hear about it? I did hear about it. Heard there was lots of smoke. You know, for Arizona, rain and fires tend to be our bread and butter for news. Yeah, because it never rains around here and mm. people don't know how to drive. No. Not in the rain. And it's or not even real rain. It's Arizona rain. Like, yeah. you get like 10 minutes of rain tops and then dust. And then we had the dust storm. And yeah. people don't know what to do in that either. They're kind of just like stopping in the middle of the road. <laughs> <laughs> that was our experience on Monday. Sorry. Um, about the people that don't know how to drive in the rain in Arizona. Oh, goodness. Anyways, so that was a story of the ghost of our Earl. Earl. <laughs> My name is Earl. 
Earl Beardy. Who's my brother Earl? <laughs> and my other brother Earl. <laughs> Scotland. Scotland, Not Alabama. Oh, I'm sorry, we're doing a podcast now. <laughs> Scotland, Alabama. Did you say? <laughs> Anyways, okay. The Glamis Monster. This is um, this is the last one, and it's kind of a sad one. Okay. They're they're all kind of sad, but. I'm not going to lie, I didn't feel really bad for Earl Beardy. So the Glamis Monster. Um, there's a hidden room in the castle that supposedly houses a hideous monster. It's thought to be the son of the 11th Earl of Strathmore, born in 1821, who may have been born badly deformed. His deformity was so severe that he was declared dead and locked away and not expected to live past his infancy. Basically a disappointments room. Did you see that movie? No, I did not. You have to see that movie. Forgot who's in it, but it was actually pretty good. Disappointment room. Check. I got to stick that on my phone. It's recorded now, so <laughs> <laughs> you can always play back. You know, I'm just going to IM you later and be like, what was that movie? What was that movie? <laughs> You're like, girl, I done told you four times. Rewind your IMs. <laughs> so, like, basically, that was a thing back in the day. If your yeah. kids were born with some sort of handicap, they... They were an embarrassment, and they locked them away in a room. Yeah, what was it? I know there was a story I was um, listening to another um, podcast on, and they were talking about, what is the one that cleanse, like, they think they're higher than thou. Okay, just edit all that part out. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> so anyways, so... His deformity was so severe, like I said, that he was declared dead and locked away and not expected to live past his infancy. Um, he grew, apparently, lived past his infancy, and he grew to be an enormous man of great strength and lived almost a full century. It reminds me a little bit of the guy from the Goonies. Yeah. Baby Roof? Baby Roof. Hey, you guys. <laughs> He's my favorite character. I love him. Me too. What was his name? Not Chunk. <laughs> I wanted to say Baby Ruth so bad, but I just can't even. Mama, you've been bad. <laughs> I, I want to cry. Goodbye, baby. <laughs> going to hell <laughs> the lightning's gonna come out right now what's his name that whole time oh i'm thinking in the back of my head what's his name you know people are probably screaming at that the two people that are gonna live to our pod listen to our podcast is screaming yeah. exactly what his name is the two people being our husbands uh, <laughs> and you know they're only gonna like us because they have to they're not really gonna listen to this at all <laughs> oh my gosh okay so basically after he was born when the heirs turned 21 any heirs after that um they were offered a chance to see the secret horror and of the castle and the secret room Really? And they were charged with the care of this, I'm going to say, quote unquote, monstrous, hideous person. Person. Ugh. 
which uh, just some other people's children i agree anyways and then another story says that the guests of the castle um and i think this was like at the turn of the century they tried to find the secret room um they made a game of it and hung towels out of every window and then they all went outside, and there was several windows that didn't have towels in them. But they was, still couldn't locate the room. That was one of the wives, right? Like yeah. her and her her friends, all those female friends, having like a tea time or whatever they did back in you know, eighteen fifty. But <laughs> back in the old days, the covered wagon days. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, United States isn't as classy as England. We have carriages and dust and stuff. They have castles and curtains hanging out hey, of windows. Our ghosts aren't as old, and no. we haven't come to terms with our ghosts like the way England and maybe God, Europe you has. you say that again. <laughs> <laughs> the reports of the monster, quote-unquote, um, dated back to the 1840s, and in 1908, in the journal called Notes and Queries, um, it was... It reported, I'm just taking this straight out of the journal, it said, The mystery was told to the present writer some 60 years ago when he was a boy and it made a great impression on him. The story was and is that in the castle of Glums is a secret chamber. In this chamber is confined a monster who is the rightful heir to the title property but who is unpresentable that is necessary to keep him out of sight and out of possession. God, how awful. What kind of fucked up people are they that they actually hide their children? I mean, okay, you in those days people are stupid, but <laughs> I mean, who cares? It it is what it is. Yeah. Apparently that was that was just what they did. And, and that doesn't excuse it. It's super sad. Anyways, uh, one description from writer James Wentworth Day, who spent some time in the 60s at Glamis writing about the history of the Bose Lions family. He got this description from one of the family members who it was passed down. And quote, it says, a creature fearful to behold. It was impossible to allow the deformed caricature of humanity to be seen, even by their friends. His chest, an enormous barrel, hairy as a doormat. I've... I've Harry is a doormat. What kind of doormat do they have? <laughs> They're just full of hair. Just touch it. I was going to say, Pet I think it. I've dated that guy. <laughs> Ooh, Albert. <laughs> no, we anyway. may need to edit that out. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Um, his head ran straight into his shoulders. So apparently he didn't have a neck. Aw. Sadness. And, How did... Yeah. And this part I'm that reminds go to me hell. of the red like little monsters from the Looney Tunes that didn't have a oh neck either. <laughs> no, this part, the next part is worse because oh, I know God, I'm going I'm to hell for right the picture now, huh? that came into my head. <gasps> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and his arms and legs were toy-like. Did you watch Deadpool? Yes. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Whoever's listening, uh, Albert and Sergio. <laughs> We know you guys have seen it, so you know what we're talking about. If anybody else ever listens to this podcast, um, you'll know what we're talking about when you get to it. Anyways, on a side note, Glamis, um, on the Glamis history of the secret room, um, Glamis Castle has, since its earliest days, had a tale of a hidden room with a gory secret. In 1486, the second Lord Glamis offered sanctuary to a fleeing band from a rival clan called the Ogilvies, but he betrayed them. 
They were led to a room. The door was locked and barricaded. And it was over a month before anyone ventured to look inside. Oh, my goodness. Only one Ogilvy was still alive. <gasps> having survived by eating the starved oh. corpses of his companions. He oh was killed. God. And the room was permanently bricked up and sealed to conceal the crime of having betrayed a promise of sanctuary. What does that remind you of? Ugh, the Red no Wedding. Doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all full of movie references. And uh, no <laughs> doubt. Girl, I hear you. I'm just like, what the hell? I've heard this story before. So, so the no known proof exists of the crime. It is consistent with the actual history of the day. And so Glamis Castle acquired a family secret and a secret room that remains hidden. The purpose of passing the secret from father to son might well be to ensure that the room is never opened. And that's uh, Glam's castle. Do they still even own that castle? Yeah. They're, Do they to really? Day, yeah. It's stayed in the same family all and these And they years. don't let tours in there, right? Yeah, if I remember no, correctly? It's oh, they do? Tours. Yeah. Ooh, we should go over there and be like... Uh, <laughs> Knock on every door in the castle. Yeah, find out what's hollow, although it's brick, so it's not going to matter. <laughs> but still, we're just going to look like two insane girls being like... Knock knock. Knock, knock. Anybody there? <laughs> Somebody Hello? answers. Hello. I'm, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> we were running I'm not knocking no more. <laughs> you took us a whole new level, Amma. Those crazy Americans. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure somebody will YouTube and be like, "What the hell are these bees doing?" <laughs> oh my god. Oh. Yeah, like I said, it was between that and the Tower of London. The Tower of London had a lot of. Yeah, I actually remember reading that briefly and re- briefly, and I remember it had a lot of interesting information too. We're gonna make it over there, Alma. I'm just telling you, you gotta get your passport though. Yeah, working on that. I'm sadly passport empty, no stamps. <laughs> We're gonna get it done. I'm telling you, we have to. So. And use it. All right, so I'm gonna tell you a quick little story first before I go on with this. And I'm probably not as prepared as usual. A um, lot of information. But um, so kind of to go back a little bit. In the 80s, um, you know, there was Maryvale Movie Theater. Right. Okay. So anyways, my mom and my stepfather had just recently got married. She was pregnant with my sister. And they were coming down the road. And before, in like old Arizona, the 85-ish, <laughs> there was no freeway except for the 17. Right. So they're on their way home from a late night movie, stop off over there. I think it's on like 83rd Avenue in Thomas um, in their 1979 Silica, because girls used to be badass in those days. But anyways, <laughs> enough with the car stuff. Okay. I'm but anyways, take your word for it. <laughs> They're not cool now. I've never seen a salad. They had blinds, as my sister would call them. I'm like, louvers. (laughs) She's like, you sure they're not called blinds? I'm like, louvers. (laughs) Anybody? Yeah, I'm not even going to explain that one. So anyways, (laughs) look it up. You have Google to look that up on. So anyways, on the Google. Exactly. So anyways, we're on the way home. And they stop at a four-way stop on 83rd Avenue in Thomas. And um, some guy runs out of the side of the road, puts a gun to the window. My mom ducks down, and this guy shoots. My stepfather's like, oh, my God. Steps on the gas, takes off. He's like, I've been shot. I've been shot. And then he leans over to my mom and realized that it's her who's just been, well, it's her who's been shot. Um, But he just got the fragments. She's about eight months pregnant. 
So he immediately hauls ass to the county hospital. Meanwhile, I'm back at home. And I, it's this summer. I'm living with my grandmother. Um, I'm sleeping on the bed, on the sorry, the couch. And my grandma wakes me up, and she's like, "Hey, we're gonna go to the hospital." And I'm like, "Why?" She's like, "No, no reason. We're just, you know, somebody got hurt. Your mom's kind of hurt a little bit." And I'm like, "Okay." And so um, we get there, and all of a sudden we walk into the emergency room, and there's like, you, like you see in a movie, gauze full of blood, everything all over the place. And there's my mom with these, you know, com- you know, completely drugged up as much as she could be with, you know, having a baby on board. Um, and, you know, just sitting there. And I'm like, what the hell? You guys didn't, didn't prepare me at all. So all I'm doing is seeing my pregnant mom, you know, been shot in the hospital. They couldn't find the guy. They had no idea who he was. They said he had some khaki pants, long hair, came out of nowhere, and just shot oh my god so so anyways um whoops so anyways um they're they're looking at the news a few months later and lo and behold they show a picture of a guy and my stepfather's like oh shit that's the guy who shot your mom oh my god so turns out is that the guy he's talking about is richard ramirez the night stalker are you serious? No, no, I he now like I said, you take that as much as you can, you know, get out of it. And I'm like, did you report it to the police? He's like, no, this guy doesn't get convicted, and he comes after me because my name's on some sort of police report. No thanks. Oh my god. So that's he screws up and down that that's what happened, and it sounds about right because he was in Arizona, although in Tucson, and about around that time in 1985. Um, but if he passed by. I mean, I don't know. Take it like it's a take it as it is. But he swears up and down that it was him. Of all the brushes that you're going to have with somebody famous, that's the last person. (laughs) No doubt, right? (laughs) So my mom recovered well. My sister, you know, she's obviously born and and everything else is fine. But that's my story. My story is going to be about the night stalker, um, Richard Ramirez. He's a serial killer, obviously. Rapist, burglar, um... He's one of the first uh, killers to be given a name by the media, the Night Stalker. Um, between 1984 and 1985, he broke into houses um, in California when people were fast asleep. Um, he would go in in the, middle of the, in the middle of the night. He'd wake them up, usually by shooting them or um, startling them. He ranged from Los Angeles to San Francisco. He used all kinds of weapons. He used hammers, he used knives, handguns, a machete. They're said that there's the thrill of him breaking into homes, um, not knowing who was there, but it made it the most exciting for him. His victims varied from gender and age, so anybody at that time could be his prey. So to kind of give a backstory of him, his mom worked in a boot factory where she worked with mixed chemicals. She worked without any protection, resulting in nearly losing Richard during her pregnancy. Two of her other children had birth defects. His father was abusive, from what they say. Um, two, and then Richard Ramirez himself actually had two um, different head injuries. One saying that he got hit by a swing, which actually after that he caused epileptic uh, fits, which actually persisted into his mid-teens. He went. He was not allowed to play football due to his health issues. He was popular, but an extrovert child. 
did well in school. Many of the girls had crushes on him. Like, those girls are like, no, I didn't. (laughs) That's a negative. Um, To cope with this turbulent life at home, he started experimenting with drugs from a very young age. He was about 10 years old. He did marijuana, sniffing glue. Um, We would also spend the night sleeping in local graveyards, which I found odd as hell. I'm like, oh, for all the places to sleep, why would you sleep in a fucking graveyard you cycle nobody's gonna mess with you in the graveyard i guess but still you never know i heard your story <laughs> a little bit ago apparently they stay so in the meantime he added he actually started to become close to one of his cousins um, miguel which they called mike he was a decorated vietnam war hero he started um his cousin mike started sharing disturbing war stories and he was kind of an impression on richard at that time he would share polaroid uh, photos of the victims he had killed and tortured in war including vietnamese women that he had raped and dismembered in one of the photos i guess he was posing with one of the women's severed heads which i was like what the i just don't understand that you know what i mean I, i just don't understand that but yeah so um, he was actually, um, he actually shot his wife in the face during an argument, which Richard was actually a witness to. So, Are you serious? Yeah. So he was about 13 years old. And at that time, it, they said he had to affect him deeply. And as I'm reading, um, he was withdrawn with his peers and started to develop an interest in Satanism. So wow. I guess the cousin was felt not guilty, only served four years in a state, in a state, Texas State Mental Facility. Four years for shooting his wife in the face. Um, despite their time apart, he and Richard were close as ever, bonding over Miguel's glory war, glory stories and his war, just his war stories. You know what right. I mean? That was just like, ugh. So as he was an adolescent, um, his cousin actually not only showed him all the gory stuff and the war and the pictures, he actually exposed him to a lot of sadistic violence. His, his sexual desires started to mingle more with his violent fantasies, including bondage and rape. Um, Richard's peers at school were noticing a drastic change in him. One classmate recalls a time where she passed him in the hallway and they made eye contact and she was actually afraid of him. Um, He got a job at a local hotel during his teenage years where he would use his pass key to steal from his sleeping guests and watch women undress, which I'm like, I'm never going to a hotel again because that is... Um, They said one night he attempted to rape a woman. He was stopped and beaten senseless by her husband, co-husband, when he returned to their room. The the couple lived out of state, so then he decided they, well, the couple lived out of state, so they didn't testify against him because they didn't want to be bothered to go back to California. So when Richard's about 22, he settles in Arizona where he would begin his vicious 14-month murder spree. So this is going to be kind of lengthy. So um, let's see, on June, let's see here, I'm sorry. On April 10th, 1984, nine-year-old Ming Lung was found murdered in a hotel basement. God, let's try that again and edit that. I just can't speak. It's the wine. Maybe I should go first next time. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'll be even worse. (laughs) Okay. So on April 10th, 1984, nine-year-old Main Lung was found murdered in a hotel basement where Richard was living in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco. She had been raped, beaten, stabbed to death, and her body was found hanging from a pipe, which I'm, I just can't even imagine that. That's just an awful just image. His first known killing was not initially identified as being connected to the, time, to the crime spree. 
In 2009, Ramirez's DNA was matched to a DNA obtained at the crime scene. However, in 2016, officials disclosed evidence of a second suspect identified through a DNA sample retrieved from the crime scene as well, um, who was believed to have been present during her murder. Um, unfortunately, at this point in time, there wasn't enough evidence, so they weren't unable to bring him to the, and do any other charges. But I think he actually was dead at that time anyway, so I don't think they really put those two and two together as... So, in June 28, 1984, 79-year-old um, Janine Viscal was found brutally murdered in her apartment in Glasswell Park. She had been stabbed repeatedly while asleep in her bed, and her throat slashed so deeply that when she that she was nearly decapitated his fingerprints were found on Ugh. a mesh screen removed to gain access to the open window Ugh, and i'm like can you imagine that Ugh. so it wasn't that much later because it wasn't that much later he attacked a 20 year old maria hernandez outside her home shooting her in the face with a 22 caliber handgun after she pulled her out of her garage she survived because the, bill, the bullet ricocheted off the keys she had held in her hands that when she lifted to protect herself. Oh, wow. I'm like, what luck? But, you know, inside the house was her roommate who heard the gunshot and ducked behind a counter when she saw Ramirez enter the kitchen. When she raised her head, he shot her once in the forehead, killing her. That's so awful. Within an hour of that home invasion, he pulled 30-year-old Sai Lan Liu out of her car in Monterey Park, shot her, tri- shot her twice with the same handgun, and then fled. She was pronounced dead upon arrival at the hospital. The two murders and the third attempt in a single day attracted extensive coverage from the news media, who dubbed him the who dubbed the curly hair attacker with bulging eyes and wide space rotting teeth. Can you imagine uh. that waking up to that just nastiness? Um, they dubbed him the walk-in killer and the valley intruder. So he obviously hadn't gotten his Night Stalker name yet, but still. Um, so maybe about 10 days later, he entered a home that he had burglarized, burglarized, burgle, burgled? <laughs> uh, a Go year earlier in Whittier. <laughs> I draw am. Cruising on through. So um, about, about 2 o'clock, he killed the sleeping Vincent Zazara, um, age 64, with a shungot, a shungot, a gunshot. Wow, this wine is really kind of getting to me just a little bit again. Well, let's I'm... just call it a shungot <laughs> I'm totally not laughing at this murder. I just cannot I even speak for the life of me. More wine, please. I, I'm just laughing at you. <laughs> no, I'm not laughing at you. I'm sure. laughing with you. I think you're laughing at me just a little bit. I know. I hear you. Back to the shungot. That, wow. <laughs> be saying shungot all night now so he had a gunshot to his head from the same 22 caliber handgun um he woke up his wife uh, who was 44 um he beat her bound her hands while demanding to know where her valuables were he then ransacked the room and she escaped her bonds and retrieved a shotgun from under the bed which was not loaded Oh, oh my god. god. Can you just oh. why and even have a shotgun I'm under saying, your goddamn bed? I'm just like, bed. can you imagine her? It's it's like <gasps> like you it's oh. It's like in the movies. Yeah. Like, it's like click it's like one of those really bad dreams where you're shooting a gun at a monster or something. And the and bad there's... guy wins. I mean, it's just I I read that and I was just <sighs> like, "Oh my god, my heart just beat." And I'm just like, "Oh, it's just such a devastating thought." So I'm just like, "Oh." So anyways, um 
It infuriated him, and so he then shot her three times, um, then fetched a large carving knife from the kitchen. Her body was mutilated with multiple stab wounds. Her eyes were gouged out and placed in a jewelry box, which he left with. The autopsy determined that the mutilations were post-mortem. Um, not that that makes it any better, but ugh, at least she didn't suffer. Um, he left footprints of a pair of Avita sneakers in the flower beds, which police photographed and cast. This was virtually the only evidence that the police had at the time. Bullets found at the scene were matched to those found at the previous attacks, and then they realized they had, they had a serial killer on their hands. I didn't know it was like... I didn't realize. Yeah. There was... There's so much. Yeah, girl. And that's like, that's what I didn't realize that either until you're reading it. And it just goes on and on and on. Um, probably like a month and a half later, he goes back to the Monterey Park, enters the home of Bill Doy. Um, he's 66 and his disabled wife, Lillian, who's 56, um, surprising him in his bedroom. He shot him in the face. Um, and then when he shot him in the face, wow, try that again. Surprising him. Ramirez shot him in the face when he went to go for his handgun and then after and then after beating the mortally wounded man into unconsciousness he went into Lillian's room the disabled wife bound her with thumb cuffs then raped her after they had ransacked the house for valuables um I get the husband actually died of his injuries at the hospital later on um, 15 days later, he stole the Mercedes-Benz, stopped at the house of Mabel Bell, Ma Bell, 83, and her sister Florence. Finding a hammer in the kitchen, he bludgeoned and bound the invalid Lang in her room, bound and bludgeoned Bell before using an electric cord to shock the women. After raping Lang, he used Bell's lipstick to draw a pentagram on her thigh, as well as in the walls of both bedrooms. Discovered two days later, both women were found alive but comatose. Bell died later of her injuries. And then the next day, because he wasn't about wasting any time, bastard, he drove to the same. He drove in the same car to Burbank. Like this, how? I know it was a spree. So, like, what was the span? How many days between? I think it was a 14-month spree, but that's why I'm kind of like, after this, because it started, you know, this many days later, this many days. So he was almost at a point to where he was just, his lustful need to just kill and do whatever he wanted just became more and more and more. And there wasn't, after he starts, he doesn't stop for much, for long, at least, it seems right. like. Um, yeah, so that's, it's, I, I was just shocked to see how many over and over and over again. Um, but yeah. So he, so he, where did he go? Um, where am I at? So he drove that same Mercedes Benz to Burbank, snuck into the home of Carol Kyle, 42. At gunpoint, he bound her and her 11-year-old son with handcuffs, ransacked the house, and then he released Kyle, the son, to direct him where the family valuables were, sodomized the mom repeatedly, and then um, at one point, he, he told her that if he looked at her, if she looked at him, I'm sorry, he would cut her, cut out her eyes. He fled the scene after retrieving the child from the closet and binding the two together again in handcuffs. So again, a few weeks later, um, not even a few weeks later, like five days later, he stole a Toyota. He randomly selected a house of a 75-year-old Marie, Mary Louise Cannon. After quietly entered the widow grandmother's house, he found her asleep in the bedroom. He bludgeoned her into unconsciousness with a lap, then repeatedly stabbed her using a 10-inch 
butcher's knife from her kitchen. He's really we, into using whatever. Yeah, I mean, he, he doesn't. Like I said, he used just a little bit of everything. A few days after the July second attack, July fifth, he broke into a home, bludgeoned a sixteen-year-old Whitney Bennett with a tire iron as she slept in her bedroom. After searching in vain for a knife in the kitchen, he attempted to strangle the girl with a telephone cord. He was startled to see sparks. I'm gonna say emanate because I I can't even emanate. Minute, sure. <laughs> From the court, when his victim when his victim began to breathe, he fled the house, believing that Jesus Christ had intervened and saved her. Um, she survived the savage beating, which required get this four hundred and seventy eight stitches to close the lacerations in her scalp. God, that is brutal. Uh, so, again, not wasting time. A few days later, he burglarized um, Joyce Nelson, 61, in Monterey Park, finding her asleep in her living room couch, beat her to death using his fists, and kicking her in the head. A shoe print from that same avia sneaker was uh, left. An imprint on her face was left because he was kicking her so damn hard. I'm like, ugh. Just is this what before dick. DNA? Yeah, it's in the 80s, so, I mean, they're probably collecting it, hoping for future technology like, you know, they did, but at this point in time, there's not a whole lot to go on except for this one obvious show that was probably sold everywhere. He waited about 15 days before purchasing a machete and then driving a stolen Toyota to Glendale. He chose the home of Leah Needling, 66, and her husband, Maxon, 68. He burst into their um, bedroom hacked them with a machete, then killed them with two shots in the head. He further mutilated their bodies with the machete before robbing the house of valuables. Horrible. That's just... I just... It just goes on and on, and I'm just like... It's like there's there's never enough for him. After uh, quickly fencing the stolen islands from that residence, he drove to Sun Valley, I think at that same day at 4.15, broke into the home of... And I'm going to totally butcher these these poor victims' names, and I apologize. I believe it's... Kovaneth family. He murdered um, wow, Sh- Sheena Rong Kovaneth by shooting the sleeping man in the head with the handgun, killing him instantly, then repeatedly raped Somkid Kovaneth, beating and sodomizing her. He bound the couple's terrified 88-year-old son, not 18, 8-year-old son before dragging um, the Somkid around the house to reveal the location of valuables which he stole. During his assault, he demanded that she swear to Satan that she was not hiding any money from him. What the fuck? Right? I so, Swear to Satan? Yeah. But this is where this is... Yeah, these just weird as fuck. Um, again, a couple weeks later, drives down to Northridge, broke into the home of Chris and uh, Virginia Peterson, crept into their room, startling um, Virginia, prompting him to shoot her in the face with a semi-automatic handgun, then shot Chris Peterson in the temple and attempted to flee. Chris Peterson fought back while avoiding being hit by two more shots during the struggle before Ramirez managed to escape. The couple did survive their injuries. So two days later, he drives another stolen car to the Diamond Bar and chose the home of Sankia Abawath and her husband Elias Abawath. Sometime after 2.30 a.m., he enters the house, went into the master broom, instantly kills the sleeping Elias with a shot to the head, handcuffs, and beats Sakina while forcing her to reveal the locations of the family jewels, brutally raping and sodomizing her. He repeats the demands and then asks her to swear on Satan that she would not scream during his assaults. 
When the couple's three-year-old son enters a room, Ramirez ties a child up and then continues to rape her. After he left the home, uh, she untied her son and then went to a neighbor's home, a neighbor's house for for help. Again, it did. Then he waits what ten more days, enters the home of Peter and Barbara Pan. Um, Peter was killed in his sleep with a shotgun to his temple. Barbara was beaten, sexually violated before being shot in the head and left for dead. Oh my God! At the crime scene, Ramirez used lipsticks to scrawl a pentagram on the fra- pentagram and phrase "Jack the knife" on the bedroom wall. I'm then really it was locking dis- the doors tonight. <laughs> no doubt, always. Um, it, when it was discovered that the ballistic and the shoe print evidence from the Night Stalker crime scenes matched Pan crime scene, then Mayor of San Francisco, um, Diane, wow, this is a name, Sten uh, Feige divulged the information to a televised news press. So it's the only, only evidence a police have. And she goes on the news and reveals the one piece of evidence that they have that this oh wow so now he's gonna change his shoes oh he does better than that he goes to the golden state bridge and just throws them over so that was a job yeah right um it infuriated detectives in the case um they knew the killer be following the media coverage and given the opportunity to destroy crucial evidence sure shit he throws his 11 and a half of years over the golden state bridge and then he remained in the area for a few more days before heading back to los angeles she get fired i hope so because that's that's a blunder of epic proportions i just can't even tell you i just like you really needed a s- the one piece of evidence that they have and she puts it out there yeah isn't, it, that, isn't that amazing it's like were you doing it to pat yourself on the back to get attention i mean i i don't even know i was just like the hell a few weeks later um he travels um 76 miles to los angeles in that stolen orange toyota to mission viejo um, that night, he re- he arrives at the home of James Romero Jr., who had just returned from a family vacation. Um, Romero's son, 13-year-old James Romero, happened to be awake and heard Ramirez's footsteps outside the house. Thinking that there was a prowler, he went to wake his parents, and then Romero's fled the scene. James raced outside and was able to note the color, make, and style of the car, as well as a partial license plate. Uh, Romero then contacted the police with the information, believing James had chased away a thief. Um, after this, after this encounter, um, Romero's broke into the house of Bill Carnes and his fiance Inez Erickson through a back door. He entered the bedroom of the sleeping couple and woke up. Um, obviously woke them up. Um, he cocked his handgun. He shot Carnes three times in the head before turning his attention to Erickson. Ramirez told the terrified the woman that he was the Night Stalker and forced her to swear he lo- she loves Satan and beat her with his fist and bound her with neckties from the closet. After stealing whatever he could, he dragged her to another room, raped her and sodomized her, then demanded cash and more jewelry, making her again swear to Satan um, that, there was, that there was no more. Before leaving the home, Ramirez told Erickson, tell them the Night Stalker was, tell them the Night Stalker was here. Erickson untied herself and went to a neighbor's wow. house. Yeah, he's to, full of himself at he this He really point. is, because he's getting away with all these murders. They don't have any sort of evidence. The only evidence that they had, they... He, he, he just literally off threw the off the bridge. Of bridge. Yeah. She, um, she untied herself, went to a neighbor's house, um, helped, uh, helped, they helped her get help. Surgeons were able to remove two bullets from her uh, fiancé's head, and, she's, and he actually survived his injuries. Like, can oh. you imagine that shit? I'm just like, holy shit. Wow. So finally on August, let's see here. 
So he left a lot of survivors, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, shoot him in the head, but he also, yeah, girl, he left a lot of survivors, but left a lot of dead people as well. Yeah. I just think there's just so many of them. It, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Um, but however, um, she actually was able to give a detailed description of the assailant to the investigators. Um, the police were able to obtain a cast of Ramirez's footprint from the Romero house with his new shoes. Uh, the stolen car was found on August 28th, and the police were able to obtain one single fingerprint on the review mirror, despite his attempts to wipe it off. Well, that's that's something. Yeah, so at that point in time, it was positively identified and belonged to Richard Munoz Ramirez, who was described as a 25-year-old drifter from Texas with a long rap sheet that included uh, many arrests for traffic and illegal drug violations. They, at that point, had released his picture to the media um unbeknownst to him though he had actually took a bus to tucson arizona in august 30th 1985 to visit his brother unaware like i said unaware that he had been the lead story in california because they didn't have the internet then so unless you were actually looking at a newspaper in california where he's wanted it's crazy to think how far we've come isn't it though i mean you can get away literally i mean people it was like a playland for people to be just killing to state to state to state and nobody would have any sort of you know forensic evidence to link them all together because they were all we're all so separated in regards to, to police right um evidence and so on and so forth so um well he, then and you have detectives that are giving away <laughs> information no, that was a mayor oh the, oh, the mayor <laughs> oh i'm sorry sorry detectives just give it all right there <laughs> So, um, as mentioned, he went to Tucson, unaware that his face had is plastered all over the place. He actually did, uh, failed to meet his brother, so he returned to Los Angeles. So I'm thinking maybe around that time, although it's a car ride away, if he can go from San Francisco to Los Angeles, I mean, he could have been back and forth to Arizona. Right, I would even like, know. But like I said, take my story with a grain of salt. My stepfather swears it was him because right. he had no idea that was even going on. He actually returned to Los Angeles early in the morning on August 31st. He walked past um, a couple of officers who were stalking out the bus uh, terminals in hopes of catching him um, should he try to flee through a bus. Well, a flee outbound bus. In case he wants to escape on a bus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he went to a convenience store in East Los Angeles. And after noticing a couple of elderly women um, uh, seriously identifying him as... Um, El Maton. He actually um, saw his face on his newspaper rack, fled the store in a panic. Um, after running across the Santa Ana freeway, he attempted to carjack a woman, but was a, uh, but was chased away by stuff. But oh, let's try that again. Mexican women identified his picture on the newspaper. They started saying La Maton, La Maton. He got spooked. He fled the store in a panic, running across the Santa Ana freeway, attempted to carjack a woman, but was chased away by bystanders. Um, there is another story off to the side, which I found more entertaining than I had actually heard before, is that um, he, when he tried to carjack that woman, um, I guess she made him, she was screaming, and so the neighbor came out. So he ran out to defend her, and then I guess Richard Ramirez was said, don't get close, I'll, I'll shoot you. 
but he didn't see a gun, so I guess he opened up the door and yanked Richard Ramirez out of there. And then um, her husband actually showed up with a steel rod to defend his wife and smashed him on his head. Good. Sending him running, okay? So then the the father's like calling for his... Beat his his ass. So the dad, not only is the neighbor and the dad on his ass, the dad starts screaming for his two sons to come over there and help him out. Um, so they all start chasing him down this road. They, um, they chasing him down this road. Um, and all of a sudden people are, are noticing who he is. So they're coming out of their homes, going along with the chase. So oh, they wow. have like the half neighborhood. a neighborhood coming down, chasing him. Um, so it got to the point where so many people actually got a hold of him at that point that when the police were, cause you hear people on the phone calling the police when the police actually got there, he actually said, it's me, it's me, it's me. I, I'm the murderer because people were beating his ass. So I was like, play stupid games. I'm like, go East Al- Los Angelinos. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So I just thought that was kind of I thought that was kind of interesting that a whole community came together just to beat the living shit out of him. You think that could happen today? You know, I would like to hope it would be. I'm assuming it was probably a closer knit community at that point in time, but I think everybody tends. We have. I think we our social skills have changed so much that I don't even think if somebody was screaming outside, we'd even look up. Right. You I hear gunshots, and you're like, what was that? You're like, it's not my house. I'm good. <laughs> Somebody's screaming, and you're like... Uh, you hope so, but like I said, right. you know, it's it just... I don't... I think before we had more socialized... We would have more social events, more socialization with people around right. us. People knew their neighbors. Block parties. I, block parties, exactly. You know what I mean? So I think... I, I don't know. To answer your question, I, I honestly don't think that would be able to happen again. But you know what? You could have some faith in humanity, right? You're better than me. Oh, right? <laughs> no, I'm playing I, I hear you. I hear you. Though, believe me, I'm just as uh, negative on that as well, but okay. So um, at the end of the day, his trial was just super expensive. He showed no remorse. Um, he continued to, you know, say I love Satan and echoing, you know, some of the stuff from his um, crime scenes. Um, he just got all kinds of just different notoriety because of his just lack of empathy pretty much remorse yeah anything all the above yeah so yeah so i guess at one point in time during his uh, court appearance he actually had a pentagram drawn um on his hand and yelled out hail satan i'm like the hell um (laughs) they actually overheard him um report to some jail employees that he was planning to shoot the prosecutor with a gun um, which Ramirez intended to have smuggled into the courtroom. Consequently, a metal detector was installed outside the courtroom and intensive, intensive searches were conducted on people entering. The, on August 14th, trial was interrupted because one of the jurors, Phyllis Singletary, did not arrive in the, at the courtroom. Later that day, she was found shot to death in her apartment. The jury was terrified. They could not help wondering if Ramirez had somehow directed this event from inside his prison cell. See, this is my oh. stepfather wanted nothing to do with that. Um, and if he could reach the other jury members. However, Ramirez was not responsible for her death. He, she had been shot and killed by her boyfriend, who later committed suicide with the same weapon in a hotel somewhere else. So... He, on September 20th, 1989, he was convicted of all charges, 13 counts of murder, 5 attempts, attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, 14, and 14 burglaries. Uh, during the penalty of the, 
Wow. During the penalty phase of the trial on November 7, 1989, he was sentenced to die in California's gas chamber. What I'm just like, let that fucker suffer, suffer, suffer. Um, I'm right there with you. I'm just like, ugh. He stated to reporters after the death sentence, big deal. Death always went with the territory. See you in Disneyland. I'm like, what a dick. Right? I'm saying. The trial cost about $1.8 million, which is roughly about $3.5 million in 2017 dollars, which at the time made it the most expensive in the history of California until the OJ I was trial. just going to say. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was no bueno. He, the bastard, finally eventually died. Um, not by gas chamber, though. He died of complications to, um, I believe it was hepatitis C. They're saying B-cell lymphoma. Um, all kinds of other shit that I'm like, I just hope it was excruciating. Too Too I'm sad. hoping it was it was suffering. I hope at some point he got sodomized in jail. But he was just a fucking shit bag. Little uh, shit bag. So, so that was my story and kind of uh, my mom's story and just... That's crazy that Isn't they cross paths. My, like I said, my stepfather was like, "Oh my god!" Because they were like, "Well, they they had my stepfather looking at mug shots." No, 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 no. And when he saw it on TV, his he said, it, "My mom said his face just went completely white." Wow. And he was How like, scary. "That's him." Yeah. That close. Yeah, my mom. Yeah, my mom was like, "I saw him put the gun." She goes like that, and I bent down, but she's pregnant, so she can't bend down as quickly or as fast because she has this. Was she pregnant with you? Oh, or your my sister? sister? Yeah. Oh, wow. So that was a that was a big deal, girl. I was, oh, it was it was it was a sad day. My mom, oh my poor mama, but she gangster. She still has that bullet up inside her. <laughs> wow. My mom's, yeah, it was just. Uh, they said it, they could never take it out because it was too close to her spine. Um, they said if they were even to play around with it, that if they, it's just so close that if it were to hit something, it would just completely paralyze her. So now, but that was 1980 medicine. Did she ever have that relooked at as, you know, right. You know, 30 years later, I know, but I think at this point she's like, what's the point? That was a little depressing. I know. Girl, I'm so sorry. It's okay. Can you imagine though, if, they, if my mom actually had that taken out, I wonder, no, there wouldn't be a fingerprint on there, would there? Fingerprint. 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 No, but they can match ballistics. Yeah. I mean, providing that they still... They probably have it locked away somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think my mom would want that notoriety. Notoriety. Wow, I cannot speak. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going first next time, Mama. I'm just telling you. Wine that's not so strong. Or whiskey. Time. We'll try Maybe. whiskey next time. Oh, and yeah. Then we'll, we'll just really be like, slurring. <laughs> so anyways, that's a very sad note. So, yeah. I just remembered when you were telling your story. Slurring? When I was slurring my story? I'm Slur- going to continue wow. to slur as well. Um, when we were talking about earlier on Glamis Castle, okay. um, how they were torturing. It's a rack. Oh, that a stretcher? Which basically is a stretcher. I'm going to call it a stretcher. <laughs> stretcher rack. <laughs> Oh, on a more um, happy note, well, not even happy note, but on a lighter note, I was seriously driving down the road, and I saw a little tiny car called Tesseract from, like, the, um, wow, I drank way too much, from, like, the Marvel movies, and I was like, huh, check that out, little car, little Tesseract. (laughs) Really? Yeah. It's a new car? Well, I don't know if it was a new car, but it was on their license plate, and I thought it was the cutest thing of life. Oh, it was a license plate. Yeah. Like, she was a total girl, so I'm like girl geeks 
All the power go to girl you. Go geeks. So, anyways. <laughs> so, I guess that uh, concludes Wraps our... Wraps stuff up. Um, I'm still working on the website. Yay, so, so am I. Kind of. <laughs> Okay, so Tuesday's my day. <laughs> <laughs> We're putting it all together. But we do have an email address. So once this is up and going, um, we're at Tipsy Tales. Uh, tipsy underscore. No, oh, yeah. Tipsy underscore Tales at yahoo.com so if you want to send us stories um we'd love to hear from you guys suggestions Gary. would be great yeah anything um and if, we're also going to be working our patreon page there so, you go um right now we're both uh funding this out of our own pocket and hopefully we can uh keep this going keep this going and if you guys could help it if you guys could help <laughs> us out send us more wine is what we're trying yeah. to say <laughs> It goes to wine, our wine whiskey. Fund. Uh, I'm a real big fan of some bourbon. Anybody out there? All we right. will drink it. Scott. Thank you guys. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. You have a great night. Bye. 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 bye <laughs> One more time. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye bye. Bye bye.